RBN. Hello, welcome to another episode of PodBN Election Edition 2023. In this episode, we are talking to Donna Bolin, who is running unopposed for Ward 2. Donna is also the only incumbent running in the race, so we got a chance to dig pretty deep on her experience and knowledge in the role and why she thinks four more years is what she would like to do. My co-host for this episode is Jeremy. Thank you to our sponsor, Little Beaver Brewery, the most diverse beer menu that I've ever seen anywhere in the world. For craft beer geeks like me, it's amazing to see what kind of flavors can be packed into a beer. If you're new to craft beer, don't be intimidated. Just come up to the bar and the servers will help you pick something you like. There are free samples and self-selected flights so you can experiment to find what you enjoy. There's also non-alcoholic beer, seltzers, and more standard beer flavors to meet every palate and dietary need. Drop by 5 Finance Drive to see what's going on at Low Beaver Brewery. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, what's been going on since uh, since you decided to run again? What's What's been happening in your world? Not a whole lot um, other than the campaigning. It's great that I'm not opposed. I think it would be very difficult to manage council work and run a campaign. Um, but the only thing I've done with the campaign is uh, fill out questionnaires from the different people that are want to know who I am and what I do, what I stand for, and, um, and then put up signs. You know, and the main reason I'm putting up signs, the ones I used last year or last time, right. is just mainly to remind people to vote because you know the consolidated election is very turnout. Low, low turnout. Yeah. So. Yep. How how uh, remind remind listeners where your wards at because wards have changed since a, l- a little well, bit since you're there. Luckily for me, ward two has stayed the same. Okay. So. Um, like all wards, they're kind of irregular on the boundary, but South Main, um, out to almost well to 74 at South Main, and then um, Hamilton and Fox Creek, and then uh, Six Points Road. So it's like Main Street down to Six Points Road is where the main jog is, but everything southwest. Southwest corner. Yeah. Yep. So obviously you're not out walking in the winter as much, doing the door-to-door, um, but you know the neighborhood very well. You know the issues. Um, what, are, what are kind of the main issues that are hitting or that you're hearing about from your constituents, the concerns that they have uh, within the ward? <laughs> the, the main land use currently is residential, so it's mainly residential issues, which that's in my opinion, the main job almost of an alderman uh, is to serve your constituents. So I get, you know, garbage, potholes, um, what else? Yeah, road issues, sewer issues. It's really mainly just that. Um, the most controversial issue I had was um, we have a housing shortage. And um, developer wanted to put in a high-density housing, which I don't consider it high-density. It's like a two-story apartment buildings, you know, 
56, 59 family units um, in a primarily residential area. And so it had to go for planning and zoning to get a special permit. And the residents were not happy. And they were relentless in trying to prevent this from happening. But if you look at the zoning laws, there was nothing that I could use to say no. So I had to say yes. And this is where the fun comes in as an elected official. The hate mail that I received, and you have to take that with a grain of salt, but it was kind of disheartening because I'm trying to balance constituent concerns with the benefit of the entire community. If you were to try to summarize generously (laughs) what the resistance was, what what would you say it was? Should I be honest or politically correct? That's up to you. You're the politician. I don't know. I'm the well, podcast. I'm in the post. I can say anything. I'm no. the podcaster. I usually be honest. But. <laughs> um, to be perfectly honest, I think it was nimbyism. Okay. Because some of the comments and the tone and, yeah, okay. it was basically nimbyism. Yeah. That, for people who aren't familiar with that term, could, could you explain it? <laughs> oh, it's not in my backyard um, when they consider high-density housing or apartment buildings adjacent to um, single-family homes. Mm-hmm. They think of, of renters as maybe second-class citizens. They don't take care of their property the same as single-family homes. But the city does have, in their zoning, um, whenever new construction of a different type, whether it's commercial or multifamily, goes next to a single family, there has to be some kind of a buffer, usually a landscape buffer. So that was one of the things I made sure that the developer put that in. That wasn't in the original oh, okay. Okay. you know, plan. Yeah. So but and, and we saw the same issue in North Normal recently, right? With some of the subdivisions, some of the higher density, mm-hmm. really more the, the duplexes condos mm-hmm. to be able to fit more people in mm-hmm. a, a certain land area and, and still there was a fight in that North Normal subdivision, mm-hmm. similar similar thing. This isn't just so everybody's aware, this isn't like a section eight housing or no. that. No. It's it's many cases condos coming out because we do have a massive housing shortage and this goes to strong towns I'm a fan of upzoning where um, why not be able to have duplexes in a single family home the neighborhood I live in has single family home and what they call zero lot line but that's basically a duplex um, on the single floor and yeah it works just fine so I would, I would yeah. like to see that because it's not super dense, but it meets the need of having two families on one lot instead of just one. So yeah, I think you could see when those things come up. You talk, think about like what's the role of the city in this? What's the role of the public good? I think you can lean in and see that. Let's say someone's got a single-story, two-bedroom home, and then someone wants to build a. 10-story apartment building right next to it, right? With a large parking lot. I mean, at some point you're interfering with somebody's property, right? Property building. Um, I, I really struggle to see the concern when it is something that's more 
modest, like an apartment building, like we have. Um, do you happen to recall how many stories tall that one was? Like a two to three story apartment building. Um, in in my ward, the one that, the one you were oh, talking it's about. Oh, it's two story. Two story. And yeah. most most of the houses are two story. Yeah, I, I I struggle to see what the real issue was. Yeah, there was one hearing about a similar situation where several people mentioned in their public comment the apartment people and I just I, I was thinking if one more person says that I'm going to just let it go but if one more person says it I'm going to ask can you explain to me what an apartment person was because I used to live in an apartment when I was in college was I was I an apartment person then or is that a different type of oh, person oh you're a college student that's different, that's a different that's well, a, it might be even worse <laughs> yeah, actually well, college student might be worse than apartment well, person well that was actually what yeah. That annoyed me the most because they referred to those people. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, that was what I was talking about with tone. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So we all need to be able to, people need to be able to come into this community of varying levels of wealth and income and build a life for themselves mm-hmm. and um, build build up, you know. And uh, yeah, it's not those people, it's it's us, right? It's us rewound. Um if not us personally, it's our ancestors, right? At some point, somebody was poor and had to build something up. So, so yeah. Well, you've mentioned uh, strong towns, and, and honestly, we were talking off air that this has come up in almost every single podcast, not by Tyson's doing either, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but somebody's brought up that concept that's really taken a lot more popularity, I think, in the last eight years. I know you've been very, really active in that space. Um, put that next to, we have this massive housing shortage. Um, so what if we can't do solutions like this, what, what other solutions are there? Are there are there opportunities to fix or address this housing crisis that you think we should be looking at as a community in the next four years? Well, the comprehensive plan, the community, you know, you hear the word um, infill, and there already is density. So if you put a higher density in the infill area, I don't think that you would get as much pushback. And it goes also to sprawl. You know, if you put in these two-story apartment buildings that only handle or house 20 families, as opposed to putting in a four, three or four-story in an area that already has three or four-story um, buildings and can house 20 families, I think that that would be valuable. Um, Addressing parking minimum also would be valuable. Um, And it really is, if you look at it kind of in a broad sense, it's the same as the cost of roads. You know, that that is an effect also. So bring the density in both for housing. And the best way to do it is, I think, through zoning. Can you, I mean, that's an easy thing. That's what the city controls. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm following what you're saying, but people who haven't, uh, people who don't geek out on it like me, <laughs> let's break it down for them a little bit. So first thing, when you say density, I think people tend to go right to some of our highest density areas like downtown Chicago or something. And, oh, gosh, we don't want all the things that come with that, the, the noise and the traffic and the honking and the the homeless people on the streets and that kind of stuff. So um, can you try to help with what does density mean to you? Can you, or maybe, can you think of some areas in the community that are, that have 
higher density as you're envisioning us working towards in places? Well, yes, the core area, the um, the collar neighborhoods, they have a higher density simply because their lot size is smaller. Mm-hmm. Or if they have a large home, the space between is smaller than if you go out into the suburban areas. Um, and if you look at some areas, and I'm specifically talking about downtown, I don't necessarily want to have a 10-story building downtown. I think that the character needs to remain the same. So whatever the tallest building there is now, what, five stories? I I think that, not that the city should necessarily cap, but I think in order to keep the character, um, that that would be a height that would be reasonable. Putting aside the State Farm building, I think you're right. I think there's... Um, I think four or five is the most it goes through there. Yeah. Oh, and the Commerce Bank is tall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can have um, density upwards and then density uh, to the side, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think of Martin Luther King Drive. I know it's not Bloomington, but Martin Luther King Drive, kind of from their Jewel Osco over there. uh, What is that? College and Adelaide that loops down towards, like, uh, Blono Pizza Company. There's all those... um, duplexes or zero lot lines or but there's a whole row of houses through there and a whole community that are hundreds of, of mm-hmm. families yeah. in a in a tight area but it's not what people think of as the you know the the build on top of each other stacked vertically no because sort of no. the 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 idea that resonates with me is that the closer the buildings are together the less infrastructure just belongs to them to fund so mm-hmm. they if you I grew up in the Netherlands. Buildings can be really close together there. Um, but I lived in the country, so it's a little different. But still, like, if you only have 10 feet of property, then that's, you know, you only have to take care, you only have to support the sewer and the road and the sidewalk for that. Whereas if you flip the house on its side, now suddenly you've got 30, 40, 50, 60 feet. That's a lot, that's a lot fewer houses, feet per house, houses per feet, <laughs> whatever that ratio would be. Um, yeah. Well, well without the, making this Strong Towns 201 here, you yeah. also said uh, the parking minimums. I think a lot of yeah. people don't necessarily understand. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're talking more about we don't need 80 parking spots for uh, a new fast food restaurant, for example. Well, you know, it's really kind of complicated. I think that I'd like to see some numbers. But, of course, the mall is in sad shape, and we have all this concrete. Um, and there's other... I don't know the formula, you probably know it better, Tyson, but um, there's some kind of formula, square footage of the building, you have to have X amount of, you know, parking spaces. It's well, many pages long, it's a big table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but anyway, in a practical sense, um, most of those places are only open, you know, a certain amount of time. So the rest of the time, the parking lot is vacant. I would like to see the business owners decide a little bit more of a free market. Um, if I'm only open as a business owner from nine to five, then you know, and people, the rate of people coming in is only one or two per hour. I don't need ten spaces. I need maybe five. So, so what do you do when the business owner, on the flip side, says, "I think I want forty, right? I want more than the parking variance." Well, if they own the property, then but then. I don't know if there's rules for this, but, you know, there there is kind of a landscaping 
buffer requirement, you know, with trees in the middle of a parking lot, that kind of stuff. And I, think it, I think it'd be the same reason why someone wouldn't get a five-car garage if they only plan to have two, because mm-hmm. it's their property. They would need to pay to maintain and do upkeep on all that, so it's in there. And I think the the business owner's incentive is to keep the parking to the minimum they can to support their business, right? There's another thing, and this has to do with green. I'm a green person, believe it or not. If there's less gray infrastructure, you automatically have more green infrastructure, which makes the land more permeable when it comes to runoff and sewer demand and flooding. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it focuses on that kind of stuff. Yeah. So one of the other uh, infill topics that has come up a little bit is, is you know, some of the newer concepts of maybe put the guest house or you'll hear the oh. in-law suite or, you know, th- those sort of things on lots. Um, you know, is that something that can be done in Bloomington? Is that something you guys are looking at or talking about? Um, as far as I understand, the they're called ADUs, yeah. which is accessory development units or dwelling, dwelling units. Dwelling units, yeah. yeah. Um, my understanding when I looked at the zoning code um, was that they are allowed in the collar neighborhoods already. Um, I guess there might be a push for putting it out more in uh, suburban areas that have larger, but you know, it's private property. If you want to do it, then you know, yeah. If there is a demand, I mean, I'm not. In I'm not necessarily in favor of making a change if there's no demand. If people want to put them out everywhere, come to the council, come to the planning commission, make your case, I'm open to it. But I think that, in a way, you have to be a little bit careful to not um, interrupt the character of neighborhoods. And I also would not necessarily be a fan of turning them into Airbnbs. I think that for the benefit of the neighbors, that they would want to have a permanent resident in the sense of a renter or family member. I did not mean to hijack this to make this a strong town's ironic for I've me I've done it here. so yeah. many times, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you yeah. know... I, Tyson introduced me to yeah, right. this. And, yeah, right. Um, how many years ago? <laughs> that was a while. Was five yeah, or six years ago. At yeah. least. And, yeah. you know, yes, I, I've read the material. I followed the stuff online. And it's very, it can be applied in this community without a lot of effort. Um, and I have been. Some of the decisions I make are directly related I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this because what I come up against a lot is the there's this theory of allowing local control and um, allowing people to take incremental steps to solve the problems that they see, but it also runs up against the reality of just how everything works right now. And so I find myself, well, there was a recent conversation about whether to hire a federal lobbyist. I thought that was very interesting from a strong town's perspective. I understand that there were some procedural things that maybe didn't go very smoothly with that, putting that aside. Just the idea of lobbying for federal grants and money to come our way, I struggle with. Because on the one hand, I'm like, I would like to say, no, 
let's not take the federal money. It comes with strings attached, and it interferes with our ability to do what's right in our community. On the other hand, if that's how the system works, that's where everyone else is getting their money from. Like, it's uh, it's hard to say no to it, right? So I'm real curious if, you're, if that's a good example or some other example like that. Like, how do you think that three think of that tension I'm talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, the decision was complicated. It's not that I took it lightly. Um, I actually don't know which way you voted. I didn't follow the vote. Oh, I don't know if you voted. For well, it, I voted <laughs> in favor, okay. and um, I hear both sides. I understand that. Um, but bottom line is my income tax, my federal income tax, goes to federal government. And I would like to see my money come back and maybe fix the sidewalk and street in front of my house. Um, and another reason I voted in favor, and I said this at the meeting, our local motor fuel tax, which is the only revenue that pays for our streets is not going to cut it. And um, in addition, we spent three quarters of a million dollars on a downtown streetscape plan. The primary or most of the cost, if not all, is going to be infrastructure, specifically the downtown. Three water main breaks in the last six to eight months just downtown. Um, that needs to be addressed. And how are we going to do that without federal subsidy? The infrastructure bill came through. You know, yeah, ask for some. It's like when you campaign. You yeah. have to ask somebody, yeah. you know, do you like me? Will you give me money? You know, so. Yeah, it's like you can, <coughs> you can say just theoretically, well, it shouldn't work like that. We shouldn't have our money go up to the federal government. It have to come back to us. And like, okay, well. In the meantime, <laughs> well, actually, we work on that. Actually, that's kind of the way the taxes work with the state. You know, the state, ta- not just income tax, but like sales tax, is collected basically through the state, and then they send back a certain percentage to the local government. They take their cut. And then yeah, well, they, send back. basically, yeah, yeah, they take their cut. Right. Yeah. So, so you mentioned infrastructure, and, and we've come in with a couple of these other interviews. It really seems like the councils recently have been a lot more focused on infrastructure and, and actually not just talking about it or campaigning on it, but, you know, it's been an issue for 20 years, but actually delivering some, some focused dollars on it. Is that a trend that you think uh, is going to continue going forward? Or Well, at least for four years. It will. Um, that's going to be my primary focus is infrastructure. And, of course, you have to understand that infrastructure is sewer streets, sidewalks, facilities, parks, you know, that kind of thing. It's not just streets. Um, but I know people aren't going to want to hear this, but we just spent um, a lot of money for the expansion of the library. We just spent a lot of money for um, a water park. And uh, we need a new garage downtown. Um, we need to fix the sewers. I mean, there's even water make breaks on the east side now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things have to be taken care of. So I personally, infrastructure has to be in the forefront on every decision. And I would like to see it funded by percentage. We have two plans. We have a sidewalk plan, or three. 
sidewalk, sewers, and streets. Look at the dollars those plans were put together in 2014, so you have to add inflation in there. And fund by percentage. Fund the plan, not just set aside 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, whatever. It's like, okay, we have 20 years, you know, to do, the lifespan is 20 years. So we have 20 years to do full cycle. How much money do we need to apply every year to complete that? That's the way I want to see it done. Yeah. Good luck with me, huh? <laughs> well, but I, I think that nature, the, the council has changed a little bit here in the last mm-hmm. couple cycles, too, to, to be very fair and, and mm-hmm. open. Um, so there has been a lot more conversation or a lot more people that ran on, we need focus on infrastructure mm-hmm. that have won, um, where that is a bigger contingent of the council. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, me personally, of course, my bias, I, I like to see that, that we're focusing on that because we can think of the Eastgate sewer issue from a couple years ago or the downtown. And we, we, we know the downtown sewers are, have issues for, for a long time. And, it's, and, and then the parking garage. We've been talking about that parking garage for 15 years. I think longer. The um, My understanding is parking garage's lifespan is about 30 30 years, and usually bonding is taken out for 30 years. So, yeah, you know, when the bonding is paid off, then pick up another bond. Yeah. Well, then it's it's good that, I mean, we've heard about this, it's been campaigning on for so long. It's good to see that finally some rubber meets the road and, and some things are being fixed in those areas. But knowing full well, there's a lot more that needs to be done and there's not enough money to, to do it all, right? Oh, well... <laughs> Well, yes, and that's partly because um, sewers and even streets um, are paid with, they're in enterprise funds, let me explain that. Enterprise funds are basically set up like running a business, so revenue in, revenue out, no subsidy, basically. Well... Like I said, the motor fuel tax is not going to cut it to meet the needs, and neither is the um, sewers. And the sewers and the water and all that kind of stuff comes out of our water bill. You know, unless you want your water bill increase, which nobody wants, um, yeah, the water department has to save their revenue until they have enough to address a particular project, and that can take a long time. So. Um, switch to a different topic here. Um, we've been talking to a lot of new candidates here. They're uh, a little glassy-eyed, I would say. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. Like deer and headlights. Yeah. Um, and, and rose-colored glassy-eyed yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Eddie, um, do you have any uh, tips for people coming on to, well, I guess, going through that experience for the next 30 days or coming on to council, like things that you wish you knew when you were campaigning or came on to, to make yourself most effective? Well... I had an advantage. I never thought I was going to run for council, to be honest. I'm rather, I'm sort of introvert. Um, But I had been a frequent flyer at public comment since 2014. So, and I 
dug into the budget with mm-hmm. Tyson, you know, one year, and uh, I followed the stuff. I did my homework. I read, you know, all the packets. I went back and researched, you know, for 10 years what was going on. Um, so when I got on council, I really had basically a head start. The only thing I didn't know was what went on behind the scenes, and that was a real eye-opener. So that was kind of a learning curve. Um, but the best, the most important thing, and I've told the candidates when they started, you need to start following the council. If you don't follow the council and the issues, you're going to be in trouble. So they have been, some of them have been attending, but attending the council really is not enough. You have to read the packet, you have to try to get some of the institutional knowledge behind it, and even the the new council members, I'm not trying to throw them on the bus, but the only institutional knowledge is in Boca and me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it's it's difficult. And then here here we're coming with a whole five new people that yeah they they don't have that under their belt. So it's going to be a learning curve. Um, hopefully, they will turn to. Um, one of the one of the council members um, that sort of mentored me, uh, she was appointed, and for the first six months, she didn't speak. You know, she sat there and tried to take everything in and learn and all that, which I think also is probably would be good advice. You know, sit and learn and listen, ask questions. Um, you know, yeah, I don't want them to come to me and feel that I'm trying to influence them, but I certainly can try to be objective and, and say, well, this is, you know, this is the history behind it, or um, this is why we do what we do, not that we can't change it, but, you know. You said so, uh, when you got on, seeing how things worked, do you mean, um, are you talking about things like how the the staff and the council interact with each other? and is it- Yes, and people think, oh, show up to three meetings and, you know, vote mm-hmm. yes or no. Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of meetings behind the scenes. And like I said, you also have to interact with your um, constituents and resolve their problem, which results in interacting with the staff. Because if there's an issue with public works, I can't go up myself and fix the sidewalk. You know, I have to reach out to Public Works and, you know, and then they have to put it on their, you know, priority list and all that. So, but I've been happy with uh, staff's response to, to issues in my... How many hours a week do you think you spend doing the job of a council person? Well, you can put in as well, yeah, many right. as you want, yeah. but... Um, but you're very thorough research. I mean, we hear that from everybody. Yeah. Um... Well, first of all, I'm retired, so and my kids are grown, so I don't have that, you know, time crunch. Um, but I could easily spend um, maybe four or five, depending how come you know how full the agenda is, even six hours um, over the weekend. And then, if there are questions, I have to contact staff, and then meetings. Um, there's one meeting or three a month they can last anywhere from an hour to three hours Um, then also a couple times a month sometimes once a week depending on 
what's going on behind the scenes. We will meet uh, in meetings with staff, and that can take... Those are usually scheduled for an hour yeah. because they they have things to do, They you know... But it's it's ten hours a week or so, right? Probably. Yeah, and possibly it's like more a part-time job. Active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Ten to twenty, depending on the <laughs> the issue and the controversy. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or yeah. Well, you know, people. When I was, I I was interviewed by a group, you know, um, and they were like, "Well, how do you, you know, resolve different issues?" And I'm like, "Well, if it's a controversial issue, I pick up the phone and try to talk to everybody." On the council, I mean, to hear their thought process. Um, I don't necessarily try to convince them to vote along with me. I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to go. I think that um, if I hear everybody's thought process, that helps me process things in my own head. And I personally believe that the best decisions for the entire community are made by consensus, not necessarily majority. So it's like win-win or lose-lose, but the best is in the middle. Um, something we've asked each each of the other candidates before is, you know, a candidate or a council member that they admire or something they've, they've taken. Your name's been mentioned uh, oh, a, a time or two. I'm just curious, kind of looking through your peers, uh, it, are there are there particular people that jump out to you? You mentioned somebody was mentoring you a little bit before, but is there somebody that jumps out that you're like, you know, I really admire this trait, or I would encourage the newer council members to pick up what this person's doing? Well, on the current council in Boca, but I worked with him when he was an alderman. Um, he is very thoughtful. Um, well, he basically approaches decisions the way I do. He, you know, listens. He's a very good listener. Listens to all sides, thinks it through, and then comes to the conclusion or decision. Um, and I think that that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to be afraid to mention. I think that I respected uh, Kim Bray. She was very thorough, very intelligent. Um, she always made a good argument, but of course she was a lawyer. So, but you know, yeah, I respected her. I respected her honesty. Um, uh, who else? Well, Johnny Painter. Um, she basically told it like it was. Um, she did not necessarily hold back, which I admired that too. Um, I have been told I don't have a filter, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, but at least uh, people will know where I stand on things. So. You're the only incumbent running. Um, why do you think so many people aren't uh, aren't up for another round of it? <laughs> what are you hearing from people? Different well, reasons or similar reasons, I guess I would say. Well, you know, Julie, I think, is her help. Yes. You know, so that is a given. Um, because I think she may have planned on running until the health. I mean, I don't know. I didn't no, really talk either. to her yeah. about that. Because that was early, before any decision would be made. Um, uh, who else? I guess Jamie well, stepped off for, for business reasons. Right, reasons Jamie stepped off for business reasons. Yeah. And um, Grant, I'm not, I'm not sure if he 
said up front to Mboka, but he didn't. He wasn't planning on running. Oh, okay. He wasn't planning on running. Oh, okay. Um, so those people who were appointed, um, I had thought that was the case with Grant that he said openly he wasn't. Okay. Well, he said from the beginning yeah. she wasn't going to run, and. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Oh, Jeff. No, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff yeah. yeah, and it, with him, it might have to do with um, time commitment because he's working full time. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. his daughter is in what, junior high or high school. That might be mm-hmm. um, an extra commit, uh, commitment. Okay. So yeah, it's 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 easy to take a step back and say, oh my gosh, no incumbents. It must be really toxic. It must be really unpleasant. Like no one wants to do it again. But um, there's all, all different reasons across the board, right? And the, a, a weird situation where three of the people wouldn't have really been incumbents anyway. If the, two of the people wouldn't have really been incumbents anyway if they'd have stayed on because they were appointed just for that last little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but to the point you yeah. just made there, I, like it hits me that you can go back eight years ago, 12 years ago, very different council. Meetings were very long, contentious. There was personality fights. You're not seeing that. In the last two years, I'll say, you're not seeing that as much, right? Uh, no. I mean, the council has definitely changed. And, and ironically, I think on normal, it's kind of gone the, the other way a little bit. I'm not trying to bring up or pin well, against. But. you know, it doesn't really take much, you know, to turn it ugly. But um, in Boca's being mayor, he's just has a totally different approach than the previous administration. Um and he will have conversations one-on-one with us and, you know, remind us about being civil. <laughs> I mean, I don't want... That sounds awful, but that's not really what he does, but it's just, you know... He's keeping it forefront, though. Right, he's yeah. keeping it forefront. You know, we have differences, but, you know, we need to, you know, have commu- open communication, that kind of stuff, which that's the diplomat in him coming out. Um, and... Yeah, I don't. Sense. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why it, it's been more calm because there are um, diametrically opposed um, viewpoints. But I just think everybody is much more civilized. So, so what do you, what would you like to see happen in your next four years? What would you consider to be a successful second term if you had a few? Um, well, I, I do want to see, I would like to see infill. I would like to see the color neighborhoods to downtown um, have their infrastructure addressed. I think that that would add to the vitality of downtown without spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I would like to see some zoning changes. Um, and... You know, people ask me, like, oh, what's your agenda? What do you want to accomplish? And I really view the council, when they're most successful, they function as a team. You know, I don't have any accomplishments, and I will never have an accomplishment unless I can round up the rest of the council, you know, to get on board. So I don't have anything specific other than basic services. Take care of the basic services. Okay. Good. All right. Well, thanks again for being willing to 
step up and do this. Um, Not a problem. It's a lot of, uh, I mean, you, you say, oh, yeah, I'm retired and my kids are grown, but it's still a, a lot of time and uh, a lot of uh, exposure you're putting yourself to for criticism um, and scrutiny that you don't have to be doing. So uh, thanks for oh, thanks for stepping up for the community to do that. Okay. And thanks for coming by to talk to us today. Appreciate okay. it. I'm very and and I'll, I'll say, if, if somebody did want to uh, reach out for criticism or <laughs> no, if they wanted to talk to you or, or reach out, what's the best way for listeners to get a hold of you? Well, luckily for me, my contact information is on the website, so they can just, um, yep. you know, Ward 2 at cityboom.org or um, tbolan at cityboom.org. Um, I have a, a phone number, email address. Yep, it's all out there on the website. Right, it's on the website. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody. I do get people reach out for me from other wards if they're not getting, you know, satisfactory answers and, you know, yeah. Well, thank and you for your service. You, you just said people are giving me pats on the back, so... <laughs> Funny how you never hear them yourself. You hear the criticisms, oh. right? <laughs> well, no, that's actually not true. Um, going back to that uh, neighborhood that didn't want apartments, um, well, the attorney reached out and was very grateful and very thankful um, about how I approached it because I did look at it as from a legal perspective. No emotion. Yeah. Thank you Talk to you later. Thanks.